Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We did it. I still can't believe we got this project done so fast and so well. When I'm in New York. I'm in Chicago. And I'm in L.A. But we're making it happen in Miro. Together. Our best work just happens faster on Miro's collaborative online whiteboard. No more scheduling meeting after meeting for work that could happen from anywhere. Whether it's getting design feedback here, mapping timelines here, or brainstorming next steps here. It all just happens on the Miro board. Exactly. And it's nice not having to wait an entire day to get sign-off from this guy. Hey! Well, it is true. See how Miro users save up to 80 hours every year by meeting less and doing more. Get on board at Miro.com. The first three boards are free forever. That's M-I-R-O.com. If you had told me that at the All-Star break, I would have been... <laughs> Are you having a fever dream or what? <laughs> well, number one, I think it just makes me makes playing minor league baseball a lot more fun if you're winning. <laughs> <laughs> um. You are I no don't. fun. Absolutely <laughs> no fun at all. <laughs> And welcome to episode number 76 of Artificial Turf Wars, where we're not nearly as terrible as meaningless games in September. I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined this week by Joshua Housem. Josh, sir, are you there? I am here. He is present and accounted for. Uh, we have a few things to talk about this week. We have Bautista's final homestand and, and really what we believe to be the most appropriate time to say goodbye to him. Uh, we uh, have Josh Donaldson tearing it up Teoscar Hernandez also tearing it up which was not something I was expecting to be talking about this year but hey 
He wasn't even a Blue Jay to start the year. Marcus Stroman is uh, marching towards a milestone. We have an interview with TJ Zoik, who is, or sorry, was a first-round pick of the Blue Jays, but is a Blue Jays farmhand right now and going to the Arizona Fall League. So we were checking in with him. He was gracious enough to join us. We have your questions. And, uh, yeah, we might squeeze in a couple things after that. Well... This this is the teary-eyed moment, Josh, that, that we all had on the weekend where Jose Bautista played what, what many would have to assume is the final home game of his Blue Jays career. Yeah, it's it, and we would get a question about this later, but just in the context of this, it's hard to see it not being that just because of, you know, he's not going to come back as a starter and there's no room for him as a backup because he doesn't offer any de- defensive value. Yeah. So, you know, the, the fans came out in droves over that six games homestand against Kansas City and the Yankees, but really in that final series and just just to show Bautista love all weekend, which he absolutely deserved. Yeah, I'm I'm 100 percent with you. I, I have seen the, a couple of the Bautista troll type haters on Twitter, but overwhelmingly. Uh, people have a real appreciation for the role that he he played in this franchise's resurgence. Um you know, I, I, I don't think he did a lot to put behinds in the seats for the first couple of years when the team was, you know, objectively not not competitive. But for us who were, you know, the diehard fans, he really made this team watchable uh, in a way that it, it, it would not have been for me had Jose Bautista not been there. You know, we talked about this last week with that face of the franchise conversation, but it's the same concept. Like the Jays were watchable in the 2000s because of Roy Halladay and at the beginning, Carlos Delgado. And from 2010 until 2014, well, 13, they had some players. But to, but for that, basically up until they made the playoffs, it was Jose Bautista. Mm-hmm. You know, it was watching one of the very best players in the entire sport play for the Blue Jays, which is not something that's always the case, obviously. No, no, you, you, that's, and, and the fact that it was a lucky stroke of, I don't know what circumstances it is. It's been outlined in one online article uh, that I read this week, but however it worked out, it it was, it was not like we're seeing with Vlad Guerrero Jr. right now, right? The exact opposite of that. Vlad right now, if he doesn't turn out to be at least a a good major league regular, there's just going to be people like what happened to this kid, which he may not turn out to be a major league regular, but Jose Bautista literally exploded out of nothing and and that was part of the magic and i I think that's easy to forget six or seven years later and yeah and just to add to that i think that part of it too is unlike vlad guerrero who was made long before he came and will be made through the minors jose bautista was made as a toronto blue jay Mm. and i think that that adds some mystique like even everyone Cassione, who turned into a superstar as a blue jay he was still a good player when he came over Whereas Bautista went from being a guy that was a journeyman who no one really wanted to a superstar here. And I think that sort of helped people identify, identify them even more than they already would. The feeling that your franchise has done something right, that it's made a right decision in order to yeah. get a player, that it's, it's you know, coached the player right or developed the player right or believed in the right player at the right time. All of those things make you feel good as a fan, right? Um when they traded for Mike Sorotka and he was injured and they never got any compensation for that, for me, that was the straw that broke the camel's back back in, you know, the post-strike days. I was like, this whole thing is a joke. The franchise doesn't know its head from a hole in the ground. And why would I watch a team that can't even get compensated for 
a, a disaster of a trade. Um, so yeah, when the opposite happens, it's it's really really a good feeling, and, and emotionally is where you have to connect to a team that never gets over ninety wins. <laughs> yeah, or do they even get over eighty five at that <laughs> in that tenure? But <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> uh, yeah, and. You know, and that's all this we're talking about kind of makes it sad the way it ended. He certainly went out with a whisper and not a bang. Yeah, he did. And, you know, this was tweeted out by Scott Carson, the stats guy for the Blue Jays earlier today, or former, I don't know if he's like still there. The the record, if you want to call it that, for the worst batting average ever for a qualified Blue Jay was Aaron Hill 2010, who hit 204.5454, well, 0.204.5454. As of the recording, Batista is one for three, which puts him at 0.20450666. So percentage points behind Aaron Hill. But the fact that we're in this conversation for the worst batting average ever for the Blue Jays is very sad when we're talking about arguably and probably the greatest player ever. And I think you can only soften that blow by looking at, um, you know, trying to distract yourself with some of the other things that have gone sort of okay for Jose uh, in terms of he has been able to play the outfield at what I would call, you know, with his arm obviously better than it's been for two or three years, that there's there's some actual outfield assists, <laughs> not, uh, not the limp arm. There is the fact that in that endless march of Blue Jays statistic uh, leaderboards, he did pass tonight when he hit a home run. He passed um, Vernon Wells for second all-time in runs scored. Not that runs scored are a big stat, but it, it tells you just how much longevity he's had with the franchise. Yeah, it does. And, you know, on this context of, context of things he's done, he's ending strong. You know, he's got hits in his last few games. He's got the home run today. And he, we sort of got, uh, <laughs> so Bautista bingo. If he, as soon as he throws somebody out, we'll have everything because... You know, we had the adventures on the bases. We, we had him getting thrown out of a game. It's everything. Everything we've seen over the years. We were getting in this last stretch of games. Yeah, I think it takes a, a, a special kind of talent. Actually, I, 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 I saw what the conversation probably was from Bautista to get thrown out at home plate. And I almost feel like the umpire felt like Jose wanted to get thrown out one more time just to remember what it felt like. <laughs> he was out, but yes. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, you could say that's a ball, that's a ball. Usually that doesn't get the immediate ejection going, but <laughs> I'm not sure. Maybe maybe that umpire likes to eject people. I didn't look that up. Nah, it's just honoring. He was honoring Bautista like the mm -hmm. rest of us. And on the topic, we should probably discuss how the team did it on Sunday. Uh, yeah. You, you uh, want to outline that. Sure. So I was there, which was... I was, you know, living in Toronto. I was not going to miss that one, especially because I have tickets, right? Uh, so when when I was there, you, the players started out running on the field. It was just Bautista, and the other guys stayed in the dugout. Bautista uh, ran out to the field to trophies, which is one of his old walk-up songs. What we didn't get in the stands is that he didn't know that was going to happen. Mm. The players acted like they were going to run out with him, and they just let him go by himself. And then he realized it partway through and started clapping and waving. And that was a very classy, cool way to start it. I loved it. Yeah, and I, I think it, it definitely shows that his teammates have a great amount of respect for him as, as the franchise, as it were. 
Um, and, and that yeah. couldn't have been more clear just in that moment or the way it ended either. Yeah. Now, before we get to the way it ended, a couple of little things. The Yankees stayed off the field during that as well, to my understanding, and held back. Uh, as well, he switched his walk-up song to Oh My God for his mm-hmm. final, which was the same walk-up song he had when he hit 50 home runs, which I think that tells you that he... You know, he wants to give a nod out to the fact that this is probably it for him, but he doesn't want to just come out and say it, obviously. Yeah. And, you know, the way he's talking, it's he doesn't want it to be the end, even though it's going to be. But that was kind of a neat movement. And what preceded that, Marcus Stroman warmed up in his jersey from 2010 as well. Mm hmm. Uh So. Which he stole out of a display case somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, he had someone else steal it for him. But huh, you know. <laughs> did that just increase his auction value? I don't know. <laughs> but uh... it's game worn jersey twice now, sort of. Not yeah. really. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but um, all this stuff just speaks to the respect that both the players and Bautista have for the history that he has been a part of here in Toronto. And, of course, that led to him coming off the field um, by himself being replaced defensively after the first out of the ninth, right? Yes. Which gave him a chance to come in and embrace and shake hands with uh, with everybody pretty much except for Osuna, who was on the mound and saluted him, and Russell Martin, who was, well, busy. But, <laughs> um, you know, a couple guys took their hats off for him even on the field as a show of respect. Uh, all of that. Just it, it was so consistent that there, there was really it was clear what the message was. It wasn't anybody just sort of uh, brushing it off. Yeah. And all of that stuff happening really makes it feel like it's the end. If, if it was just the fans reacting, you know, as they did all weekend, and especially on the Sunday, standing up and cheering for every single one of his at bats. It would be hard to say, OK, well, it's definitely he's not coming back. But when the team is acting in that fashion and he is. It, it sort of brings it the realization to everybody that this is the end. Yeah. And, and it is a little bit sad. I, I, the, no doubt about that. Uh, it, it, it's a lot less sad than the way maybe uh, Roy Halladay had to leave without ever tasting the playoffs or that uh, Carlos Delgado had to leave without ever being really offered a fair contract. Like given all that, it, it, it's sad, but I mean, I guess appropriate is, is my feeling on the whole thing. Yeah, I think so. And the funny thing to talk about this too. I mean, when was the last time a Blue Jays player who was a superstar played out the string like this? I can't even think of an example unless you count Tony Fernandez coming back for the 400th time. <laughs> Tony Fernandez had like a car that just drove itself back to Toronto and he never. <laughs> Am I here again? Oh, okay. Yeah, players tend not to to be able to say goodbye in Toronto appropriately because there's always something else on the horizon. Toronto just, it isn't where you end your career typically. Um, So yeah, I don't, I don't think there is a a comparable example. I mean, if you think back to Delgado, obviously who had many good years out after Toronto, he left on a sour note because he wouldn't waive his no trade clause because he didn't want to leave like that. Mm Mm-hmm. And, yet, and he was the last truly great hitter this team has ever had. And it was he was booed out the door. And so it's nice to be able to say goodbye properly to Bautista. For sure. All right. We are going to move from the king, I think, now to uh, the heir apparent. Josh Donaldson 
So the prince? <laughs> I, I don't know. The steward? I, <laughs> Stewards aren't heirs to kings. I don't know. He's been keeping the throne warm all second half until someone gives it to him because uh, he's just lost his mind since coming back from injury. Oh, I mean, it's been just stupid, really. <laughs> I mean, the last two weeks, he's got eight home runs. In, <laughs> I mean... Eight home runs in two weeks of games? That's not supposed to happen, especially for a guy who everyone was saying having a down season. Did, did he not have nine home runs in the first half? Yes, I think that's right, actually. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, because he's got like 33, I think. Yeah. Yeah, he's hitting, I and mean, for the last eight games, which is since we did record the last podcast, he's hitting 345, 406, 724 with three home runs and two doubles. <laughs> His last eight road games, Sportsnet put up a stat, and his OPS was like over 2,000. For yeah, eight I saw road, that one too. Eight road games? <laughs> Who hits that? on the Like, you friendly confines, screw that, man. I'm just going to bash everywhere. Um, yeah. So, Donaldson's still the real deal, which makes for a, a better decision that the Blue Jays have to make, but a more difficult decision. How do yeah, you, and it's also going to cost more money, too. Yeah, how do you pay Josh Donaldson, and how long do you plan on paying him for? Yeah, I mean, especially when you look at his overall numbers, they're right, maybe just a little lower because of the overall league offensive environment, but they're right there where they've been the last two years. His OPS last year was 953. His OPS this year is 953. <laughs> now, if you had told me that at the All-Star break, I would have been... <laughs> Are you having a fever dream or what? <laughs> Seriously. And, and he's only played 110 games and he's got 33 home runs. That's a 47 home run pace if he plays his 155 that he normally plays. Which is 48 if he plays his normal 158 from the three years prior. Which is what he does, right? He hits over 40 bombs a year if he's healthy. And we thought he would be healthy and he wasn't. So you still have now a guy who can put the whole team on his back much like Bautista or Encarnacion in their prime, and drag them through a few wins when you're really, you know, stuck. And you kind of need at least one guy on the team who's going to do that, don't you? Yeah, I think you definitely do. The, the What separates the Blue Jays from two years ago, essentially, to this one is they had three or four guys that were that. Whereas this year, it was Smoke in the first half, and Donaldson kind of took over when Smoke went down. But he is the guy that they need. And that's where this conversation you were talking about before comes into play. It's hard to let that guy walk when he's still that guy. Mm-hmm. It's also so, hard to pay that guy for like six years when you know he's in his 30s. <laughs> that's also true. And this is, you know, this is a conversation for another day. <laughs> so we'll just leave it at Josh Donaldson. Still awesome, despite what you may have heard through April, May and parts of June. Yeah. There is another name that has suddenly sprung forth, and that is uh, uh, the Teoscar Hernandez hype train is fully fueled and honking its horn in the station or whatever it is, blowing its whistle, uh, because his OPS is up over 900 at the moment. Uh, I'm not even sure how that happened, except that every time he hits the ball, it seems like it's an extra base hit. Well, of his last nine hits, five are home runs and two are doubles. This seems respectable. <laughs> <laughs> That's in his last eight games. He's got five bombs in his last eight games. 
so my question is does I know being in the friendly park that is the Rogers Center encourages hitters who are power hitters to, to you know, realize that potential. Uh, it doesn't work for all of them. But is the idea of a, a flawed power hitter as a Blue Jays project now just a thing? Is that what they do? <laughs> we have seen a few of them, haven't we? Even, even the, the lostiest of lost causes, Justin Smoke, finally came around and and uh you know turned himself into an everyday player somehow uh but we have seen you know and it, it and bautista was obviously the first one who fit that mold and and nobody's been at that level since then but there's sort of an argument that whatever's going on there development wise or strategy wise are they looking for guys that other teams are like oh this guy's he's got power but nah, we can't can't you know can't turn him into an, an everyday guy yeah, uh, it's it's hard to to really answer questions like that about the way this team builds guys and how this just keeps happening. I think that you're you're hitting on something with the with the field and how it just helps power players, power players, <laughs> you know, it helps players really tap into the power that they've already shown. Like Teoscar Hernandez had power in the minors. People looked at him as a guy who would you know hit twenty plus home runs and steal twenty plus bases a season and strike out you know hundred and eighty times. So that I mean that's what he is I mean, you know in those eight games he's also struck out 12 times but does it matter if you hit a couple bombs and a bunch of doubles this of course is, not yeah this is the era where that doesn't matter and by the way just as another side note maybe we should keep teoscar around play him every day so bautista doesn't sit with the single season strikeout record for so many years <laughs> yeah right yeah that's <laughs> depressing but uh <laughs> The one, the one thing about these hitters, though, these guys that have the extreme swing and miss, which we saw with Justin Smoke the last couple of years, if you're not hitting the ball, it's hard to hit to your power when people figure out where you miss it. True. True. Right? You know, Justin Smoke was, you know, throwing curveballs down and he's going to swing over them all at the time. That was Juan Francisco from a couple of years prior. And eventually, and probably very quickly, people will realize where those holes are in Teoscar Hernandez's swing and exploit them until he can make an adjustment and become a better hitter overall like Smoke did this year. So yeah, the question ultimately is do the Blue Jays have a confidence that they can coach him to close up that that hole in his swing, which from what I read briefly is actually in the upper part of the zone for Hernandez. It's them high heat. Probably uh we had one other player marching toward an a, a uh, an important milestone quote unquote important i'm sure it's important to him marcus blocked me on twitter stroman uh <laughs> is uh is headed towards 200 innings how, how short is he <laughs> real short <Yeah. laughs> five foot seven that's for blocking me on twitter marcus <laughs> didn't last week you said he was gonna block the podcast if he didn't last week he's doing it this week <laughs> <laughs> but uh no he's uh he's at 197 innings so he just needs to last three innings in his next start against the yankees to clear that milestone and it is important to him because he like thinks of himself as an ace and aces throw 200 innings it's just kind of the accepted number so he needs to last longer than marco estrada did in in his final start of the year no <laughs> <laughs> what happened josh he sucked. Uh, okay. Well, good to know. <laughs> One of the funny things about Stroman, since I'm 
don't want to talk about that anymore. It's not a bad thing. <laughs> he, uh, in the end, his numbers, if you look at base runners allowed, home runs allowed, are going to be almost exactly the same as they were last year. Mm-hmm. But his ERA is a run and a half lower almost. Now, what's the lesson here, Josh? Baseball's a random game. <laughs> And therefore, we shouldn't use ERA to try and figure out what a guy's going to do the following year. Right. It's a basic sabermetric principle, and he's a wonderful, wonderful example of it this year. Uh, honestly, it's nothing Marcus Stroman should do any differently. That's, he hasn't done anything any differently. Yeah, but like next year, he shouldn't, he shouldn't have done anything differently from last to this because his peripherals were good. Uh, you know, they were what they were. And he got some what what we would consider unfair results based on the way he was doing things. And this year it's been much more generous to him. But that doesn't mean that he figured something out this year and his ERA is going to be the same next year. His ERA is going to fluctuate. That's that's your sabermetric lesson for today. Don't use ERA to try and predict how a guy is going to be next year because it's not going to tell you enough. Yeah. And when we're talking about Marcus Stroman specifically, it's really not going to because... It's one thing, if you're a guy who's an extreme strikeout pitcher, his ERA is probably going to be reasonably stable just because he limits contact, whereas Marcus Stroman does not. His game is extreme ground balls. And depending on who you have out in those fielding spots. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Uh, and depending on who is positioning them, even. There's yep. tons of variables there that Marcus is, is focused on one thing, getting the pitch into a spot where a guy's going to hit it on the ground. <laughs> Beyond that, he's at the mercy of everything that happens behind him. Uh, yeah, so we'll go with that. And, you know, just on that topic, what's somewhat amazing about his numbers being so much better from the runs allowed, well, earned runs allowed, he gave a bunch of unearned runs this year, he was dealing with infielders whose range was greatly diminished. Mm-hmm. You know, we had Donaldson wasn't there for most of the season. Tulowitzki had dips in his ratings. Goins had dips in his. Barney had, was a negative. Everyone was a negative defender on the infield except Justin Smoke. But he's a first baseman. And yet Stroman did this. So it just shows the randomness that you were talking about earlier. Exactly. Uh, is there anybody else who we have an update on? I didn't have anybody on the notes here. But before we move on, I usually give you a chance. Well... Yeah, I think that it's just, I think we're going to see just on these relievers that we've been talking about, Barnes and Tapera. I think they might just throw one more time each because they have eased back on their usage for both of them, which was we talked about, and it's nice to see they actually did it. Thank, praise Jeebus, as Homer Simpson once said, because why would you kill these guys in meaningless games uh, when you're going to need to really count on them, hopefully next year, a whole lot just like this year. So, yeah, good to know. Uh, we are going to go talk to a, a real live pitcher in just a couple of seconds. TJ Zoik is a Toronto Blue Jays minor leaguer, and uh, he's going to be back with us in just a sec. And we are pleased at Artificial Turf Wars to have joining us a TJ Zoik, who is a Toronto Blue Jays first round draft pick uh, from 2016. Welcome to the show. Uh, thank you for having me. 
So um, I guess since you are, are a recent first round draft pick, which is which is a big accomplishment for any player, uh, we we wanted to talk to you about what it was like going from uh, going from a college being a college player to, to suddenly being a professional. What was draft day like for you? Well, it was pretty uh, pretty emotional. Um, a lot of anxiety leading up to that. Uh, you know, just kind of you know you work your whole life to get to this point and to get an opportunity to play pro baseball. And then when you get to draft day, uh, you know, it's completely out of your hands. So, you know, it's kind of a weird feeling, you know, you feel like you control most of it for uh, the, the, the better part of your career. And then it all comes down to one day where you really don't control anything. So uh, it, it was, you know, obviously ended in a great result and exactly, you know, what I had been hoping for and, you know, working for. Um, but yeah, leading up to that that day, leading up to the draft, and all throughout the first twenty picks, just a, a big feeling of anxiety. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> now, did you have an idea that Toronto was seriously interested in taking you at that spot? Um, not until about two days beforehand. Um, I hadn't really talked with them a whole lot. Uh, the area scout had come and met with me uh, and talked briefly like like a lot of others uh, in school and in the season um, but then they seemed to get like uh, like and they're interesting to spike in me uh, just a few days leading up they had I was actually back home in Mason Ohio and they had uh, an area scout from that area come and I did this you know this personality test that everybody you know every team has their own version of and you know, they were uh, talking about talking to my agent and all this. And, uh, you know, obviously uh, that kind of tipped off to me that they uh, obviously had some interest in taking me there. Um, but then, you know, on draft night, uh, I get a call around the 19th, 20th pick. that said, hey, Toronto, is interested in taking you here. What do you say? I said, I obviously, I took the uh, – I was uh, very happy to accept that uh, their offer. Yeah, well, we're obviously happy that you did. But I, I want to actually now take this back before, because this was not the first time you were drafted. You were drafted, of course, at a high school, like you said, in, at a, in Mason, Ohio. And I'm wondering, yeah. how did you end up making the decision to go to Pittsburgh? Because you know, for a lot of players who are drafted at a high school and look like they're potential pros, they pick a school very much based on their baseball acumen. And I'm wondering how much it was that versus the education you get at a very good school like Pitt. Well, it was a little bit of both. You know, at that time when I had uh, gone up to visit, that Pitt had uh, finally made the decision to li- leave what was the Big East and join the ACC. So I knew I was going to get a lot of great baseball competition when I, you know, when I was in season playing against schools like Florida State, Miami, Clemson. I was going to be playing against guys who were, at, you know, potential first round, second round, you know, top five round picks. Um, you know, to obviously get good enough to be one of those guys, you have to play against them and learn, you know how to play like that. Uh, so then on the other side, it's a great school. Like you said, the education is, you know, top notch and, you know, you never know with baseball, you could get hurt you know, or just, you know, doesn't end up working out. So um, I felt like that was a great uh, fallback plan to have a great education and a degree from that school. Now, is that something when, if you're talking to potential people who are like where you were a few years ago, would you counsel them to maybe go to the better academic school just in case, as long as they still have the chance to be seen? Yeah, uh, I always tell guys, you know, if you're good enough, you're going to be seen. Uh, it doesn't really matter where you are. I mean, if you look at the uh, Major League Baseball All-Star game, how many of those that came from 
schools that aren't necessarily premier baseball programs, you know, uh, that, you know, they don't have, you don't always have to be at LSU, Florida, uh, Mississippi state, one of those big name programs just to be seen. You know, if you play well enough and, you know, you have potential, the guys are going to see, they're going to find you. They have area scouts all over the place for a reason. So you went from uh, very much being the master of your own destiny, turning down the first draft, uh, and then you were drafted, like you said, out of your control, what happened there, but um, you were fortunately picked in the first round. And then you went, and and they kind of, the Blue Jays bounced you from the FSL over to Vancouver, and then to Lansing, all in one year. What what was it like suddenly being a pro and, and kind of have, have Mitt will travel? Well, it was a it was a very enjoyable experience. Uh, something very new to me. Uh, obviously, you know, starting off uh, in the GCL, I I started off down there uh, mainly to kind of build up. There had been uh, about a month or a month and a half gap between when I was drafted and the last time I had thrown a baseball. So they obviously didn't want to just ship me off, you know, up to Vancouver and you know be away from the trainers and the facility, which is you know where their their, their main complex is here in Dunedin, Florida. Um, so they wanted me to be able to work with those guys and be closely monitored while I was uh, going through my throwing program and building up. Uh, and then after I had made my first start in the GCLA, decided it was okay to send me up to Vancouver. Your impressions of Vancouver as a, as a city or as, as a place to play ball? Oh, it's beautiful. Both, in both ways, you know, the fan base there is incredible. Uh, you know, we unfortunately didn't play all too well while I was there. Um, but, you know, even the, even so, the, you know, the crowds would sell out almost, I feel like, every other night. They're you know, cheering loud. Uh, it was great atmosphere. And the city itself is just phenomenal. You know, I was fortunate enough to be able to, you know, on some off days, be, be able to uh, walk around downtown and you know, see uh, a lot of the sights. And it's just, it's an amazing city. Now, did the club ask you to make any changes or adjustments from college to the pros in either your repertoire or mechanics, or was it just go out and we'll see what we've got, and then it works and keep going with it? Uh, I think it was more of a, we'll go out and see what you got, and then, you know we need to make some adjustments, uh, some minor tweaks. We'll do that. Obviously, um, being a you know coming right out of college, you're obviously not uh, big league ready, so there's obviously going to be have to, uh, some adjustments that have to be made. Um, but I've, it's been a, a good work in progress. Uh, last year helped me a ton just kind of, you know, how, how to develop a routine and kind of be in pro baseball, be in that five-man uh, rotation. And then uh, this year, especially being with uh, down here and uh, with the Dunedin Blue Jays, with uh, the pitching coach down here has done a tremendous job with me and even all, all of our pitchers down here just kind of helping us develop a ton. So uh, with that development in, in 2017, we don't get a lot of information from the minor league uh, clubs about, about DL stints and that, but, but you did unfortunately have to make two trips to the DL, which I'm sure was disappointing uh, now that you're in Dunedin, you know, and you moved up another level. Um, what happened there this season that, uh, that caused you trouble? Well, the first time, uh, it was a lower back injury, uh, nothing super serious. It's just something that required a lot of rest, um, to kind of let it heal itself. Um, and then I had to make some adjustments to, um, some of my routine, um, just kind of add some things to make, to keep this problem from coming back. Um, then the second time, uh, I had just, you know, my arm had just, was just not in shape enough to be ready to go out and compete and give my team the best chance to win. Uh, it just wasn't feeling quite right. Uh, so they 
took me back onto the deal. I, uh, you know, went through a, a rigorous throwing program to get my arm in shape quick. Uh, and then after I came back off of the deal for the second time, my arm had never felt better. Uh, obviously, I was still uh, pretty fresh from the year, uh, the short year I had, unfortunately. But uh, it, it, it did uh, and still does feel great. And luckily, you were able to make it back to pitch for the playoffs. What is this? The value. I mean, obviously, you want to win. That's why you play baseball. But do you think there's an added value as someone coming up through the system to winning a championship in the minor leagues? Well, number one, I think it just makes makes playing minor league baseball a lot more fun if you're winning. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, but I think, uh, yeah, being a part of a winning culture, uh, you know, even the big league club has been, you know, to the playoffs at least the last two years. Um, you know, just from top down, they have a, they've developed a winning culture, and you know, guys, everybody at every level wants to win. You know, you can see it. Uh, you know, some years might go better than others. It's just you know, the ball might bounce one way or the other, but you know, you can feel that you know, at every level, the manager, the pit, the uh, assistant coaches, they all want to win, and that's a, uh, that's the main goal is development, and you know, you want to win. Yeah, makes sense. Now, as you said that. You, you came back and you haven't thrown as many innings as other guys. So the team is going to be sending you to the Arizona Fall League if we have that correct? Yes, that's correct. So what is the process between the end of the season and the Fall League, which obviously takes place well after the end of the minor league season, to keep you in shape? Well, I went home uh, for a few weeks uh, after the playoffs had ended down here. Uh, you know, I'd, since I did uh, get that, you know, it's kind of a bit, a, a good and a bad thing. Obviously you don't want to miss any of the season, but that, you know, that long break that I had did allow me to kind of keep innings off my arm. So I could, after the playoffs ended, just keep throwing and keep throwing through that little two week break I had. And now I'm back down here in Florida, you know, continuing to throw, throwing sides, you know, just kind of you know, getting ready to go out there and compete again. Will you actually throw to any live hitters before the fall league in the instructs or anything like that? Or is it just keeping your arm warm essentially? Uh, yeah, we will throw to live hitters, I believe, um, right towards the end, right before we leave. I think that'll be our last, um, our last trip off the mound before we head out to Arizona. So the AFL is, is a very sort of different format from everything you've been doing lately um, because you're, the, the prospects from each team are, are kind of a, a mishmash of different organizations and different guys you may not have met. Um so what's your approach there? Are you are you doing it for yourself? Are you doing it to try and, and sort of learn as much as you can uh, in that? Or, or are you just trying to hone a specific skill? Well, I think a little bit of all of the above. You know, you kind of go and see how other guys go about things. You know, other top prospects from other teams, uh, they're, they're, they are where they are for a reason, right? So you kind of see if you can take something from one guy, maybe something from another guy. Um, and, you know, and work on uh, what, what I'm doing as well while I'm out there, you know, facing, uh, you know, top level hitters, at least top minor league level hitters uh, would be great for me to kind of learn how to pitch, you know, kind of beat hitters better, call my own game better. Uh, it's just it's going to be a great learning experience to be out there and facing those kind of those type of guys. Um, when you talk about about you know trying to hone things and, and that, I, I'm curious just as a sort of a last thing, is there someone in the major leagues right now who you you uh, you try and look up to or, or something specific that you're trying to emulate? I know I know even some MLB t- pitchers will talk about another elite guy. Is is there someone who you compare to yourself or, or compare yourself to? 
Uh, well, absolutely. I would say there's at least two guys, Adam Wainwright and Corey Kluber, that I look up to. I wouldn't necessarily compare myself to them because they're on a whole other level, even at the highest level. Um, but, yeah, I, I definitely try to model myself after, the, after those two. They're, kind of, they're both the workhorse. They like to go out there and give their team seven, eight. You know, they're not, the quality start for them is, uh, like I said, seven or eight innings, not just six. Uh, and, you know, they're, they, they're the type of guys that, you know, when they go out there, their whole team uh, and the fans know that, hey, we got a chance here. That's cool. That's very cool. Um, so, yeah, uh, those are certainly two guys I would uh, I would put at the top of the game as well. Um, we do appreciate you stopping by. I think we learned a lot about you. Uh, and, and I hope that uh, next season you can, you can get through it, you know, in one piece and, uh, and you can uh, yeah. make that next step up the ladder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that'd be that'd be that'd be very nice. <laughs> <laughs> I uh we look forward to hearing your name more often, TJ. Alright, thank you guys. Alright, take care. And there you have it, a little bit about uh what the life of a draft pick suddenly becomes from uh, Mr. Zoik, which it, it it sounds hectic to say the least. You're always you're always uh, running from one place to another to try and uh, try and be the best you can be. You know, it was interesting to know how late into the game the Jays really got into it. Was like the way he said it was just a couple days before the draft. Really, he found out they were interested. Yeah, I also like this statement though that they're gonna see if you need to be seen, you're gonna see they're going to see you. Which uh, well, I that, think- that's why I wanted to ask that question. I because. I, people never talk about this aspect you see all these guys like Garrett Cole and Trevor Bauer going off to UCLA or someone going off to Miami or Rice or wherever he went to Pitt which is a good school and it has it, it, it has baseball they play against good teams but you know he's like you have the talent they're going to find you and I think that's a message that needs to get out there more than it does yeah I think it's probably as, as time has gone on and teams have become more and more aggressive about finding talent and knowing what they were looking for in terms of talent. I have a feeling that that's been more true uh, in, you know, post Moneyball baseball era where there, there are no teams just sort of sit back on their heels. I don't think anymore. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're playing college ball, D one college ball, you're going to play in front of scouts a lot, <laughs> yeah. regardless of where you are. Even if they're not looking for you, surely they're going to be looking seeing you when they're looking at someone else. I would presume. Yeah. And obviously, in TJ's case, they were looking for him. But <laughs> absolutely, you don't. I, yeah, I don't think he accidentally became a first round pick after being a, already picked once out of high school. Anyway, yeah. we have. Anyway, uh, we're, we're looking to see him next year and rooting for him. So thanks for coming on, TJ. And now to the, our listeners and uh, a certain number of questions they have for us. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? Yeah, well, no. Really once is what we usually manage with questions, but thanks for asking. We, <laughs> we're going to start with, uh, you think Mike's son? Yeah. <laughs> oh, sure. Get okay. this one out of the way, Mike. Doctor. Mike's it should we call him doctor when he asked this question would you rather fight 100 mouse sized Jose Bautista's or one Jose Bautista sized mouse I'll hang up and listen <laughs> go ahead Greg you can take this one first I would rather fight one Jose Bautista sized mouse 
I figure probably less intelligent than a hundred mouse size Jose Bautista's. Uh, I wouldn't want to get hit by a whole bunch of little tiny bats. Um, well, I'm going the other way. You going a, the other a way? A person sized mouse would scare the hell out of me. <laughs> I don't want to be swarmed by a hundred mouse size Jose Bautista's with little. Bat- no, man, I'm out. But like, if, if these. In 100 most size Bautistas are coming after me. I can just stand on a chair and they can't get to me. <laughs> well, I'm glad we didn't settle that at all, really. It <laughs> opens us up for all kinds of questions next week. Uh, Luke, who has changed his name to include JBATS forever at Split Letters, asks, What's next for the God King himself? Not, I'm assuming, not Joey Votto. Does he get a big league deal somewhere? Joey Votto's not the God King. Don't even make that joke. Joey, Joey Votto is the court jester. <laughs> well, I'll give him that one. Uh, <laughs> he's your steward. Oh, there we are. But I think Bautista will get a big league contact somewhere if he really wants it. Uh, you know, as a, as a role player or a, you know sharing time with someone, I think that some team will offer him a deal just because just in case last year is closer to a real than this year or – just the lightning in a bottle for like two million bucks or someone will pay him i just don't think it'll be toronto and i also don't know if bautista will be willing to take that rather than just retiring yeah it's a long way down from the five years he was seeking from all or more i'm not sure but but at the beginning of the 2017 season i think i think bautista some call him cocky but I, i think he also sort of has a a level of self-respect maybe that he doesn't doesn't necessarily sound like the kind of guy who would go for a part-time role at the, at this point. I think I I would be more I would be less surprised, sorry, to see him show up coaching somewhere than I would to see him as a part-timer. Yeah, and I think I said I don't think it's the money, it's I think it's the role. I just don't think he wants to come off the bench and I don't blame him. Um so Josh at Lou Brown 34 would like to know the top three things management needs to do this off season. Um. <laughs> Not just three things. There's the problem. Yeah. Well, I mean, they need to fill the outfield, right? That's the priority one. They have, they're losing their left field. Well, they don't have a left fielder. I mean, it's been what Steve Pierce all season and they're losing Bautista. They need to replace those guys. I mean, you know, Pierce has been fine, but he's not, he's miscast as an everyday outfielder. It's an everyday anything, unfortunately, for Steve. Yeah, that's it's just the truth. He just he has a lot of trouble staying healthy. But so they need that. And you know, there's guys out there. There's a lot of good outfielders in free agency. And I don't know if they're going to play at that level. Get you know the Justin Uptons, the JD Martinez, or the Lorenzo Cain's, but they should. Okay. If you're going to keep. Bautista, or not Bautista, Donaldson, you're going to keep Hap, you're going to keep Estrada, you're going for it, right? So go for it. Uh, there is always the question of being hamstrung by by the contract at some point, and that's the, the eternal Toronto question. But So number one, fill the outfield. Uh, number two, you probably need some real starting depth. They need uh, at least one more guy who's going to be a major league starter in like ready that you would be happy with him opening the season in the rotation. Yep. And then on the infield, you need a real answer for the question. What if Devin Travis is injured for half of a season or more again? Yeah. And the answer can't be Ryan Goins. Yeah, we, well, 
except if you can figure out a way that he only bats with runners on base and it remains 2017, <laughs> then it's fine. Yeah. And you know, I just want to talk about this too, because so Mark Sparrow gave an interview and he called him a championship level backup or something or, or potentially a starter on a good, you know, maybe he was just was talking. The, maybe that was the, the do over. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> now, and, and we rip on Goins a lot, but it's the thing with Ryan Goins. Like he is a championship level backup. If your starters are guys who are healthy, like he would make a great backup on the Yankees, where you got Didi Rioris installing Castro, and then you go stick him in for defense for Castro in the ninth because Castro's not a good defender. Yeah. But on a team like the Blue Jays, he just doesn't work, and he's just not good enough when you have injury-prone players at both of the middle infield spots. Yeah, you just you you a, a, a team that is really trying to win. 90 to 95 games and take a division cannot bear a replacement level guy who you, you know is going to get hundreds of plate appearances if, if you're, uh, you know, if your middle infielders are as, as difficult to manage as the, the two guys were this year. And I don't mean difficult personality wise. I mean, to keep on the field. Was that three things or was that just two? That was three. That was three. All right. Uh, Sam Dowdle, uh, is Teoscar Hernandez now, the phrasing here is a little off. I believe he's asking, is he a, uh, ready to be a, an everyday player on the Blue Jays in 2018? I would hope that that's not the plan A. You are I no don't... fun. Absolutely <laughs> no fun at all. <laughs> well, I think it might be plan A, but... <laughs> I don't know. I just we talked about some of the flaws that are there, right? And I think that those could get exposed very quickly. And so I'd love him to be a guy that you're ready to bring up if someone goes down, but not the the guy that you're counting on to replace Jose Bautista's old version of his bat. Yeah, it does seem like a stretch. But also I look at the guys who've been playing every day in left field with the exception of the whatever magical um ring or piece of clothing Ezekiel Carrera put on this year um generally speaking he would be not a downgrade from the looks of things in left field for the Blue Jays no he's not but I just want them to do better I want them him to be the first guy called up or Alfred one of the two if someone goes down all right fair I think you're always tough but fair are, <laughs> are you <laughs> Uh, so we're going to do two things at once here. Except I'm talking about Marco Estrada. Then, yeah, then you're then not I'm fair just, at all. I'm, no, and I'm not tough either. <laughs> uh, so uh, we're going to do a cliche and we're going to do the last question. So we'll, we'll do this cliche thing. Man, what a cliche. I thought writers hated cliches. Yeah, uh, that question would be from Shaky Waits, Rob Gray. How much should we take from September results? Is it truly fool's gold like Pat Gillick once said? Or the old, other old adage I've heard is never believe anything that you see in April and September. Which, if you read that, that's like, what, 33% of the season you shouldn't believe? Yeah. Now, just remind us, Greg, what is your test for a cliche? Well, if you say the opposite and it doesn't make any sense, clearly you've waded too deep into cliche territory. Now, the opposite of never believe anything you see in September would be believe everything you see in, t see in September. <laughs> <laughs> I think that fits our definition. Pretty much. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. So there is a context to every month. And I suppose September is notably different than other months because of our baseball's mysterious obsession with expanding rosters to 40 people. Yes. Yes, that is definitely the biggest reason I believe that this thing exists. Which really means the April thing doesn't, I don't even understand that. But anyway. <laughs> I guess it's because it's cold and I don't know. But the real thing is, you know, we hear this, right? Should we not then be happy or take some way that we've seen Teoscar Hernandez be able to take Chris Sale deep? Like. You see guys play against real players who are fighting for playoff spots or or positions in standings and things like that. You know, there's a lot. Most of September baseball is real. And then you get these situations where you have, you know, Matt Dermody or actually Dermody's pitching pretty well. But we have Luis Santos coming into a game in the seventh inning of a one run game. Right. Or that Tim happens Meza. a lot in September, too. Right. Well, although Tim Meza, they're actually trying to turn him into something. But same idea. Right. It's like <laughs> seeing what we have. So, yeah, if, if a guy's constantly beating up on the Tim Mazes of the world, if he's a right-hand hitter at least, it doesn't mean a whole lot. But if he's hitting, you know, Masahiro Tanaka or, or like I said, Chris Sale or what Don's doing, that stuff, I think maybe doesn't mean they're going to continue this, but it still has value. Yeah, and I think you can see that in, in the difference between the results that Teoscar Hernandez has had and the results that Richard Urania has had, right? Um, the more they play so far, you, you've got an idea that, you, you know, they might be in the lineup the same day. They're facing the same guys. Uh, Urania has been overmatched far more often than Hernandez has been overmatched. So you are learning something. Now, does that need to be tested more? Yes. So I would say, uh, what should the, what should the phrase be? The phrase should be, don't, don't only believe what you see in September. Yeah, you know, t consider the source and, and be skeptical of what you see in September, but don't disbelieve it. Yeah. Lord knows if the Blue Jays had disbelieved Jose Bautista's 10 home runs in September, where would we be now? There you go, full circle. Yeah, they offered him arbitration after that. They didn't necessarily have to, and that was, he was a non-tender candidate, but they believed in some of the things they'd seen, some of the changes, and, you know, the rest is history. Absolutely. Uh, we are also going to hand out a gold star this week, uh, which I have the privilege of handing out. I think that's rather brilliant. So I did good, right? I mean, I would have thought you'd get a gold star. You enjoy that. You've earned it. So we don't generally get too political on our little program here because, uh, you know, I don't necessarily have a lot to say. But Bruce Maxwell did have something to say this week, and I think the fact that he said it by taking a knee during the National Anthem um, at the Oakland A's game should be applauded. Uh, I think in a democratic society, people with a platform, any platform, who have a strong opinion about something should always be applauded for expressing their opinion in a thoughtful considered way that attempts to really open up a discourse so maxwell explained to his teammates what he was going to do why he was going to do it that he really felt that the nfl players who are taking a stand are trying to take a stand against um what they perceive as injustice against african americans uh both in society in general but specifically 
the violence that the police often enact upon them, um, that he was going to join that sentiment that he, even though he's the son of a serviceman, um, believes that this topic needs a lot of attention. Uh, I think absolutely he had the right to do that. And I, I think in a, again, in a free society, that it's critical that people with a platform do speak out. And uh, yeah, there's all kinds of opinions about that. So I, I just want to give him a gold star that that what he did obviously took courage, especially in baseball, the most traditional of sports, uh, where there are not a lot of of minorities. Uh, well, sorry, there's a, lot, a fair number of minorities. There's not a lot of um, African-Americans playing in the major leagues at any given time. So he, he may feel like a, a minority among minorities in that case. So your gold star, Bruce, uh, take it, hang it wherever you would like. Yeah, I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> Usually when I get on a big rant, that's how you finish it off. <laughs> yeah, well, you definitely touch all the bases. So um, there you go, gold well, star. Th- well, I will give you the opportunity then to have a final thought, which probably won't be nearly as serious as the gold star I just had. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> going, from, going from that to just abstract silliness, because the Dar- Detroit Tigers have nothing to play for, and Brad Osmus definitely has nothing to play for because he's already been told he's going to be fired or <laughs> not renewed at the end of the season. <laughs> he's oh. going to let Austin Romine, or sorry, Andrew Romine, Austin Romine's the catcher for the Yankees. I was going to say, that can get really confusing too. Are they related? Are they brothers? Yeah. Okay. Uh, he's going to let Andrew Romine play all nine positions on the Sunday final game of the season. He'll, they, he'll be the fifth player to do that. Which is, uh, if nothing else, a reason to tune into a Detroit Tigers game, which I don't think anybody had a reason to tune into, even the players, <laughs> by the last day of the season. Nope. <laughs> uh, yeah, my... I know this will give the Tigers the all-time lead in players who have done this because it'll be the second one for them. And don't ask me if the first one was. I don't know. <laughs> I just saw that tweeted out. Uh, well, you know, you got to they got to lead in something this year. Uh, how about lead in in trading guys who became the most awesome player on the planet to another team? One JD Martinez for uh... nothing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe not nothing, but the return they got was crazy low for a guy as good as jd martinez was with them and has been with arizona that's a uh, for another team's podcast i think but you're absolutely right uh my final thought is also not blue jays related it's uh nacho man if you're not familiar with nacho man you can just type nacho man in and uh, he shows up as the very first google result because in our modern fame induced society all you need to get famous is to have addison ruffle russell Kick the nachos Ruffles? out of your no, hand. No, they were nachos. Oh, I don't even know what kind of <laughs> chips they were. Uh, yes, Nacho Man had the Cubs shortstop uh, destroy his snack. Uh, not only did he end up with a free snack, he ended up getting interviewed by at least two different major news outlets and then having people uh, ask for his autograph repeatedly, including signing another man's chest with, what else? Nacho cheese. Uh, yeah, if you, oh God, if you have that not had enough absurdity this week, I encourage you to take in all the glory that is Nacho Man. Um, as I tweeted at Dart Guy, remember, Dart Guy is verified. I'm not on Twitter. Think about that. Um, <laughs> uh, Dart Guy and, and Nacho Man may be doing a buddy cop movie, although Dart Guy would like to play himself. 
I think that you should be required to have in your Twitter bio hashtag 15 minutes if that's what you want. <laughs> it's a special check mark. It's like an orange check mark. Like it's about it's to a little expire. clock. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a check mark at all. It's a clock ticking down. Oh my goodness. So quickly, of course, I must remind you that we do have a Patreon, not only because I love plugging our Patreon, but because we have a new patron, Deco Cuff. Uh, Deco, thank you very much for your donation. You're at that level where uh, in the off season, you can come on and play a game with us. And if I have mispronounced your name, because I'm not familiar with it, uh, you can correct me when you come on to play a game. Possibly a little swing and a drive. Maybe we'll come up with something else that uh, that uh, suits you. I'd also like to encourage our wonderful, faithful listeners, if you want to just slide on over to iTunes and rate the podcast or even leave a short review uh, as well. There's a new service that uh, we were, was brought to our attention that we were added to called Podknife, which is also looking for reviews and ratings for podcasts. Um, you can look them up uh, as well and uh, and give your opinion on us. We always appreciate that. Helps other people find the podcast. That said, you have been Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem, and I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010. And our guest, you're going to have to help me out with this one. TJ Zoic at TJ Zoic. Well, that's easy, isn't it? Even without the check mark, that really is TJ. So we have uh, confirmed that. And this was Artificial Turf Wars, episode number 76. And we'll talk to you next week.